Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. God is so clearly moving in this place. God is so clearly moving in these moments that we have together. And just for the next few moments that we spend together, I wanna take you to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we're gonna go to the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, as we talk about get ready for God to do it. Get ready for God to do it. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna have you turn to your neighbor a bunch, but I think you should turn to your neighbor, your other neighbor, and say, get ready. Get ready. Okay, we're, we're, you feel it? You feel it? As I think about getting ready, I cannot help. Travel is always something you have to prepare for. That's just the, the reality. Some of us don't think about that. We pack last minute. Where are my last minute packers? You just, you pack right before. And uh, then there are the planners and preppers and, and you didn't raise your hand uh, because you know you don't need to, you're prepared. Um, but right before our first child was born, Becky and I were still newly married and we'd been married about two and a half years. And something that we wanted to do, I really wanted to do it, was I had never been to, to Europe before and we were, we were newlyweds still. Uh, so we saved all of our uh, credit card points, you know, to, to earn frequent flyer, you know, miles and frequent flyer miles and saved all our pennies, nickels and dimes and, and, and wanted to go to, to France before Owen was born. And I don't speak French. I don't know if you know that about me. I don't speak, speak any French. Um, but I really wanted to go to France. And so we, f we flew into France. And the, the plan was to travel around France by train and to hit up, you know, five different towns through France and some through the countryside. And so we started in the south of France and the, the second town we hit was a little town by the name of Villefranche. And we were only going to stay there one night because we had a lot of ground to cover and we couldn't waste time. And, and a beautiful little town, little, little, like kind of what you think of as like when you think in your mind, little European South France town. And so we, we had dinner there that night, it was great. But the next morning we had to catch a train. And it was kind of one of our, it was our second train to catch, but our first early morning train. And when I say early morning, I ain't joking. We got up at like 3.55. And um, I didn't know this, how it would feel, but we, one, when we packed, uh, we packed heavy because that's the way you want to do it. Don't leave anything at home, bring everything. <laughs> And so we, we didn't like, we, we checked all of our bags. And so we, we loaded up those suitcases and at four o'clock ish in the morning, we exited the hotel and nobody in the town was awake. Nobody. It was completely dark, not a, not a, not a light on in the place besides the train station off in the distance. And so cobblestone streets. And so we're going through the streets of this little town and our, our luggage, the wheels on our luggage are going click, clunk, click, clunk, click, clunk. I thought we were going to wake everybody up. It was so loud. And we got to the, the train station and the, the platform uh, for the train was four stories up. So it was all, no elevator, just stairs, um, not very American. Um, and so we, we grabbed our suitcases and I'm a gentleman. So I grabbed both and went up the, the four stories of steps. And so zigzagging up the stairs 
got to the train platform and we're reading, not reading, uh, reading in French, which we didn't read because uh, we can't read French, uh, the, the train times, but we could read times. So we were looking at all of that and thinking, well, we're on, we're, we're early, feeling good. And so not too long, maybe, maybe five, six minutes after we've been waiting there, we hear a train in the distance. And so we get our bags and we step up to the platform and around the side of the hill, here comes the train, lights. We're all excited. We're holding hands. It's romantic, 4 a.m. And whoosh, train goes by. So it's just no big deal. That's probably the, that's the express. It's got to be a local train. So we, you know, shake it off. And so we, we wait, we look at the board that we can't read again. And okay, well, yeah, that's probably the next one right there. Um, and a couple minutes later, maybe, maybe five minutes later, here comes another train around, around the hillside. And we step up to the platform with our very heavy suitcases and whoosh. Now it's uncomfortable. Like, just to be honest, it's not good. Um, the town is still pitch black, but we, as we're reading the sign, not reading the sign again, and looking at our Rick Steves How to Travel Through France book, uh, frantically trying to figure out how we're going to get to our next train, which we were on a really tight schedule, um, here comes a little truck through the town. And he backs up to a storefront, and he's, it looks like he's unloading you know, grocery stock, like fruit and stuff like that. And so Becky says, do you want me to... To maybe we should go down and ask him when, like, what we're missing here. And she said, but since we have the heavy suitcases, I'll just run down and ask him. So I was like, that's so nice of you. That's awesome. I'll stay here with the luggage. So um, <laughs> don't ask me why. It's just what happened. So she runs down the four flights of stairs and goes to talk to this strange fruit man in the uh, streets of this town. And, you know, strange because we don't know him. And it's dark outside. And she goes around the side of the truck. And I'm like, one Mississippi, two Miss, three Mississippi, okay, four. And I'm thinking, what, what is going on here? This is not right. It doesn't take two seconds to ask that question. And so what do I do? I grab the suitcases because I'm going to go save her. And I go down. I don't know why I thought I needed the suitcases, but I was like, I don't want these to get stolen at 4 a.m. That would be awkward. So I go down the four flights of stairs with the suitcases. When I get to the bottom, she comes around the corner of the building. She goes, babe, it's fine. He says the, the train is about to come. Okay. So I grab the suitcases and we go back up. We get to the top. Here comes train. So we, whew, I'm sweaty, but I'm ready. And so train comes around, boosh, another express train. Okay, well, we are going to miss our connecting train. This is not good. I'm, I really start to get stressed. Well, here comes a little taxi cab, second guy awake in the, in the town. And we can see we're way up high, town below. Here comes a taxi cab. He parks kind of right by the train. And I said, maybe we need to just take a cab. France can't be that big. Let's take a cab. Let's do that. And so I don't, you know, she, she, Becky's like, well, we should probably ask him. She said, I'll go talk to him. I said, oh, great. Thank you. I'll stay here with the luggage. And so she goes down. <laughs> she, once again, I don't know why. Just, I've learned a lot since then. So uh, she goes down. He, he's smoking a cigarette in the front of his car and he rolls down the window and she's, she's having a conversation with him and she motions to me. 
And I'm like, oh, great, he's going to take us. Then I grab the bags and I go all the way down, all the flights of stairs. I get to the bottom and she's like, what are you doing? He said, it's about to come. It's like, you got to be joking. So I go up the four flights of stairs. I am basically dead at this point. Here comes train round and it stops. Huh. Thank you, Jesus. We get in the train. I immediately fall asleep. I was so excited to see as the sun came up over the French countryside. That was for the birds. I was sleeping. So, um, but the problem was, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that we didn't know where we wanted to go. The problem wasn't the destination. The problem was that we didn't get ready to make it to the destination. I mean, we packed suitcases. They were really heavy, but we didn't know how to read the sign. We didn't know, we, we didn't investigate what were local trains and express trains and when those came. We just looked at a bunch of times and said, this is ballpark kind of in the vicinity of what we need to be doing. But we didn't, we didn't really get ready to get on the right train. And here's the thing. There are, there, there are, there are, there are things God wants to do in your life. There are places he wants to take you. But those require, in order for you to reach the destination that God wants to bring you to, that requires a readiness. It will always require a readiness on our part to step into all that God has, to get where God wants us to go. And when you get to Nehemiah chapter 13, this is the reality. The people have been in exile. It's a judgment of God. He had, he had sent them into exile for their rejection of him. But in the midst of their exile, God had made promises to them that if they returned to him, he was going to restore them and it was going to be glorious and God was going to do mighty things among them. And so he sends some people along, some leaders, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. A guy by the name of Ezra, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And there is incredible progress made. As the people turn back to the word of God, as they repent, as they move Godward, as they reinstitute things that had fallen by the wayside, as they rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, as they rebuild the temple, there is so much to be optimistic about the direction they are headed in. And then Nehemiah leaves for a season, probably, we don't know exactly how long, but a few years he leaves as the people are making progress. And in Nehemiah chapter 13, he returns to see the progress of the people. And there are major problems. That the things that they had made so much headway on have now been let go of. And, and people are, are, are not observing what God has called them to observe in terms of worship. They've stopped worshiping God in the way that he's called them to. They let wrong things into their lives. Things that derail them and distract them. And Nehemiah wants more than anything. He wants the people to experience what God has in his heart for them to experience. He wants them to know God's blessing, but he knows they won't see it and they won't experience it unless they get ready. It won't happen. Unless they get ready, unless they get serious, they're not gonna see God do what he wants to do. I mean, if you're watching online, there are things God wants to do in your life. 
Across this room, there are places God wants to take you. He wants to take you personally. He wants to take you in your family. He wants to take you in your walk with him. But you won't see that happen unless you get ready. I won't see God take me where he wants me to go personally. Becky and I won't see God take us where he wants us to go as a couple if we don't get ready. So when Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 13, he's surveying this scene that could have been very depressing. He could have thrown up his hands and said, okay, I don't even know what to do with you guys. We've made so much progress and you've fallen so far behind, but he, he doesn't do that. Instead, he speaks to them, he confronts them, he calls them to get ready in four ways. Four ways he calls them to get ready. And the first one is this. He calls them to get ready by putting the priority on worship. Putting the priority on worship. Look at this in Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. And I wanted, and I warned them on that day when they sold food. In other words, what, what we're getting, what we're picking up here, the Sabbath was, a, it was, it was the, the, such a monumental part of what worship looked like under the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament. For the Old Testament people of God, for the people of Israel, the Sabbath was so critical to the way God had called them to, to worship him, to set that day aside in one in seven and look to him and honor him with the way that they lived their lives but what had the priority become? What did the priority become for the people? Well, when you read this, just, just these few verses, and Nehemiah actually says more about that in the passage, but it had been a, there were a bunch of small decisions that derailed them from the issue of first importance. Small decisions like, like well, I have to get this done today. Like this is, I really, God understands, I have to get this done. Busyness just in general, business concerns in particular, there were all sorts of things that had gotten in the way. Just the issue of convenience. All of it had gotten in the way of worship. It had distracted them with, from that which they were not only called to do as a people, but the reason that they were put on this planet. You and I, same thing. We were put on this planet. God created you. He put breath in your lungs and your highest calling above anything and beyond anything he ever asked you to do is to bring glory and honor to his name. We're called, we're created to be worshipers. Somehow along the line that had lost its allure to them. They had lost the priority of worship. I just want to ask you at the start of this, is the priority in your life on worship? You say, well, I'm here at the prayer meeting. And that's huge. That's huge. This is a, a massive decision. This is you saying, setting aside this time, whether you're watching online or in person, you're saying, okay, I, in the middle of the week, am going to stop and turn my attention to him. But what I want to encourage you in is this, that worship is not, it's not just about a service. It's not about a Sunday. It's not about Wednesday. It's a daily turning our eyes upon Jesus and saying, God, my life is about you. 
My life is about you. Nehemiah highlights the Sabbath to highlight the priority of worship that has to be present in any one of our lives to be ready for where God wants to take us. He says, put the priority on worship. But secondly, confront complacency. Confront complacency. Look at this in verse 18. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all of this disaster on this city? What is he saying? Hey guys, what you're doing has never worked. And it's never going to work. The reason we're rebuilding all of this is that this is what your daddy and your great granddaddy did. This is, this is the way that they neglected the things of God. This is the way that they operated. These are the routines they adopted. And here's the thing. They knew it wasn't best. Nehemiah doesn't have it to convince them of that. They're living it. They know if they open their eyes, they think about it. They know that the way that it's been done is not the best. They know that the way that their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents did it didn't work the way that they would want it to work for them but they were complacent. It was this mentality that says, well, this is the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's the way I was raised. Like the reason I, uh, I engage the things of God that way, it's just the way I, it's the way I grew up. I just don't, I don't feel comfortable. You know, I don't feel comfortable lifting my hands. I, I don't feel, I, I just, I, I don't feel, you know, my, I, 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 it's just, I didn't, you know, that's not the tradition I'm from. And that's not, that's just not the way that I roll. I, you know, I don't, I don't like that. It's not, you know, God wired me this way. And I, uh, it's not really an excuse. It's just what I don't want to do, you know, like, but it's really complacency. It's saying, well, the way it's been, I know it's not the best, but it's just what's going to be. And I guess it just is what it is. And here's the thing, to adopt the same patterns, what I'm comfortable with, the way I grew up, and expect God to move in a fresh way is insanity. To say, well, I'm gonna do what I've always done, but I want God to do something I've never seen him do. In my life, in my family, in my kid's life, in our home, in this church, in the world, but I'm not gonna move. It's complacency. Love what Pastor Bill Johnson says. He says, the devil is very afraid of worshiping people. He actually doesn't mind complacent worship as it seems to work opposite of the real thing. It deadens our sensitivities to the Holy Spirit of God. It works completely opposite to the effect of sold out, passionate worship. Complacent worship is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. Complacency doesn't work. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What Paul is saying there is anytime we detect complacency in our hearts, we have to confront it. Never be lacking in zeal. That means that you're going to have a kind of a radar system in your life, because if you're never going to be lacking in zeal, you're always going to have to be attentive to your passion. You're always going to have to say, am I passionate? Is my passion growing? Is my passion intensifying for the things of God? Because I never want to find myself in a place, in a season, in a routine that's adopted an attitude of complacency, because I always want to live a life that does damage to darkness. I always want to be ready for what God has for me. 
And if I'm going to be ready, I have to confront complacency. Now, number three, he says, fortify your convictions, fortify your convictions. Look at this in verse 19. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates. So he's talked to them about the Sabbath. He's talked to them about the way that their families and their, the generations before them did things and it didn't work. And then Nehemiah gets really practical. He says, as soon as it began to grow dark, the gates of Jerusalem uh, had to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. I just want to ask you a question. What gets in the way of your forward progress spiritually? What is it? What would you say? Okay, where you want to be in your walk with God, where you are in your walk with God, where you want to go spiritually, where you are spiritually, what's created the gulf? What's created the gulf? What has gotten in the way of your forward progress spiritually? Because here's the thing, we can all make spiritual progress and growth spiritually really, really complicated. But often it's not complicated, it's just costly. Not complicated. Nehemiah's solution is really, really simple. Shut the gates. <laughs> you don't want business traffic on the Sabbath? Close the road. He shuts the gates. It's a really, really simple solution. And I would just say to you, what gate in your life needs to be closed? Where have you opened things up to things that should not have a traffic pattern in your heart? What have you given space to and time to and access to that you need to say, okay, that day is done for me. I'm going to shut the gates. Because if you're going to fortify your convictions, it first starts with shutting the gates of your life to what should not have access to your life. And I think the corollary to this is what needs to be fortified. Because it wasn't just about keeping things out. It was about keeping the people in. There are things that need to be part of your day in and day out life. There are things that if you put in place spiritual habits and disciplines and practices, that if you commit, if you resolve to doing them, it fortifies your life. It fortifies your walk with God. It strengthens you in an unbelievable way. But it has to come down to a decision for you and I to say, I'm going to fortify my convictions. I'm going to fortify them. Some of us would say, well, I want to grow, but there's no system to accomplish the vision. I want to grow spiritually. What are you doing to do to make that happen? I'm just, you know, I know I just want to just want to. That's a hope. That's a dream of mine. Someday I would be a spiritual giant. How? I just hope I'm just excited about that day. It's really pumped up about it. Actually, when it happens, it's going to be awesome but we have no system to accomplish the vision. There's got to be practices that we put in place in our life. And Nehemiah puts, what does he do? He puts his servants at the gates. He knows those gates are not going to stay shut on their own. They're not. 
I, I, I know that I'm not going to keep, if I just hope that I keep, well, I'm in a good, some of you are like, well, I'm in a good season. I'm making spiritual progress. Guess what? That will just not continue to happen on its own. There are things you've put in process. There are, there are things that you've put at the gates. And because of that, it's fueled forward motion in your life spiritually, which is a wonderful thing. But you have to be cognizant of that and conscious of what keeps the gates closed and what fortifies your life. What's, fortif what's building your convictions? What's strengthening your convictions? Nehemiah says this, and this is so interesting. Verse 20, then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside the gates of Jerusalem once or twice. <laughs> but I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. There's a reckoning coming. I will lay hands on you. And from that time on, they didn't come. Imagine that. There are two things that occur to me out of what Nehemiah says here. Some of us give up way too easily. I was on the right track. I was making progress. I was moving in the right direction. And then kind of, you know, I just... I love that time, that season in my life where, you know, there was a season where I was really passionate about the things of God, and that was a great time. That was a great time. Or you know what, I've tried, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to pray, I've tried to seek the Lord, I've tried to spend time in His presence, or I've, I've, you know, I've really tried to get in my Bible and get in God's Word, but I kind of fell off track, got off track, fell off the bandwagon on that. I love that it says, they tried once or twice. Here's what, we know that both times they tried, who was there? Nehemiah. He was standing there. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't just stay there for one night and keep guard and then go, oh, I guess I scared him away. No, he, he, he was persistent. The other thing that occurs to me is some of us, there are some times where the world is not gonna understand when you get serious about the things of God, when you really get passionate, when you get passionate in your workplace, when you get passionate and maybe your spouse isn't a believer or your kids aren't walking with God or your extended family's around and all of a sudden you're making decisions that are reflected in the way that you live life and now there are questions being asked and accusations being made and offenses being hurled. Here's the thing, there will be opposition because there is an enemy. You can either decide that the opposition is gonna cause you to shrink back, or you can get violent in your passion. I'm not talking about violence towards people. I'm talking about a holy passion that will not be dissuaded from following God's call on your life. I will not be dissuaded. I will not be dissuaded. I will not be turned back. I'm going to take new ground spiritually. And there may be opposition and there may be people who don't like it, but I'm stepping forward in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit of God. And he will go before me because I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna be ready for what God has for me. I'm going to be ready.
Though in all of that said, there's, there's something critical that we haven't heard yet from Nehemiah. All of it is inferred in what we've heard, but this fourth one makes it explicit. It's that he calls the people to pursue holiness, to pursue holiness. Look at verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and I cursed them. This is not like curse words. This is the curse that God had said would rest on them if they deviated from his covenant. He's repeating that and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. <laughs> Nehemiah's, he's intense. <laughs> and I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Here's the thing, he's not just concerned about the immediate situation. He realizes that if they don't commit to holiness, there's always a generational impact. When we talk about getting ready, we can think about it in terms of ourselves. But here's the thing, I don't wanna just lay groundwork for me. My life is laying groundwork for a, for a boy named Owen and a boy named Elliot and a girl named Hinley and a baby named Calvin. And if I'm not ready, I could derail what God has for them. Oh God, help us to take seriously that as a church, as people, as moms, as dads, as grandpas and grandmas, we have a holy commission to be ready for all that God has for us because the impact is generational. If you're going to be ready for what God wants to do in your life, there are things that culture will say yes to that you will say no to. There are things that culture will let in that you will keep out. That you'll say, God, I want all that you have for me. And part of that's a recognition that God is going to speak to you about what he has for you. And he's going to speak to you about what he doesn't have for you. You know, the book, at the end of the book, Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes it clear in no uncertain terms what this has been about. He says in verse 30, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work and I provided for the wood of the offerings at the appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Here's the thing, God is constantly cleansing us. No, we're, we're, you're righteous. If you're a Christian, you're positionally righteous before God. When he sees you, he sees you as clothed in Christ's righteousness. What I mean is cleansing in the sense of aligning us. He's constantly aligning us with who we are in Christ. He's constantly pushing us in the direction of what we are at our truest, at our truest sense of who we are, the way God sees us. He just wants your every day, your every moment to line up with that reality and that identity because he realizes there are things, he knows there are things that he's calling you to do, places he's calling you to go, ground he's calling you to take, things he wants you to get ready for, and you'll only be ready if you, when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on things in your heart or moves you in a certain direction, respond to his voice. We've gotta respond. 
We always have a decision. We always have a decision when God is speaking and when God is calling us out of something or into something, what we're gonna do with God's word to us. We always have a decision. Nehemiah comes to them with a word, but here's the question. What will the people do? And here's the thing, the Holy Spirit tonight is speaking to your heart. He's talking to you online. He's talking to you in the room. He's talking to me. And the question that lies before all of us is, what will we do with what God is speaking? Because there are things that you need to close. There are things that you need to fortify. There are ways that you've let things in your life that have kept you from a purity that God has for you. And he wants to cleanse you. He wants to align you with his purposes. He wants to align you with his power. He wants to align you with his plan. His plan. But all of that requires readiness. God, I want to be ready. God, get me ready for what you want to do. God, get me ready for what you want to do in 2021. Oh, but I don't want to just be ready for 2021. Get me ready for what you want to do in 2022 and 2023 and 2024 and 2035 and 2041. I don't know what God wants to do through your life in the decades to come, but I do know this. You aren't living today just for tomorrow. You're living today to leave a mark on this earth in the power and through the pour, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit as you say, God, I'm ready. Would you stand to your feet right now?